Let me start by praying over our time this morning in the Word. Father, You grant all good things. Your Gospel is a light unto our feet. It's a lantern in the pathway of our life. Let the words that we hear this morning grind down into our soul. Let those who name You as Lord and Savior be reminded of the cost that was paid for their Uh, for their soul, for their release from the bondage of sin. And Father, if there is one, if there is anybody this morning that's here that does not yet know You, let the sweetness of this description of life with You speak to their hearts and open their hearts and minds. Let us who know You be reminded of the precious gift of grace that we've been given. Speak powerfully. To each person, Lord. Open the hearts and the minds through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning, I've got a test for you. So open up your bulletin. Pull out the sermon notes. I'd really like everybody to do this because this is going to be fun. And you'll see in the sermon notes, we're doing something a little bit different. I don't have some fabulous story. I used them all with you during that missions moment. Uh, What we're going to do instead is a little test. How many of you love tests? Like, I didn't come to church to go to do a test. This is a fun test. It's like personal. How many like personality tests? Oh, that's why I do what I do. No, that's not what you say. You say, oh, that's why he does what he does. Right? So let's have some fun with this. You ready? This morning we're talking, we're still in Titus. We're talking about strengthening churches. Paul writes this letter to his fellow servant in Christ, his teammate, Titus. Paul has had to move on in his ministry. And they started churches on this island of Crete. Not a great place to start a church. But they've established these churches. Now what happens is Paul writes this letter to Titus and he says, I'm going to give you some tools on how to strengthen these churches. You're going to need these. Otherwise, these churches are probably going to fall apart. Because Crete is a really hard place to be spiritual and to be godly. And so we're going to give you these tools. And so that's kind of the background for what we're looking at. And so this morning as we move through, you're going to hear some incredible words when we get into the Scripture, and we'll do it right now. These words are defining words. They're defining words. And, and we'll do a little exercise in, in how important defining words are. Remember, you told me, what day does the World Series start? Tuesday, very important word in your vocabulary now. And by the way, my whole point in doing that about a missions moment was you were motivated. All of you jumped on, most of you jumped on it immediately. You already know, you gave no problem in saying what you knew to be true. That's just a baseball game. What do we do about Christ's return? How, how much do we know about that? When is that happening? What does that urge us to do? Are we quick to speak about the grace of God? Does it just come off our lips with loud, boisterous exclamations? Because we're excited about it. I think we need an injection of excitement this morning. And the words that Paul uses here are defining words that are going to juice you up this morning. Alright? This is spiritual steroids, okay? Sorry, the little Barry Bonds, Giants 
alliteration. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Strengthening churches is where we're at. Let's look at the passage. Actually, let's start, let's start here. Defining words. There's a picture of me. I know. It's incredible. It was not one of my better moments. And uh, I just got ripped off. I paid $10 in Italy for that ice cream. And the guy kept going, you know, like he didn't understand what I was saying. He knew what I was saying. And he just kept, I asked for one scoop and he just kept putting it on. And I said, no, 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 no. That's me after I got ripped off. All right. So when I look at that picture, I have a defining word for how I felt right then. I can't share that word with you. Okay. But I want you to get a visual because this is a fun exercise. You ready? Number one, how would you define your, and for those who have one, spouse? Well, I would define mine as a Proverbs 31 and, and not as all the kids are saying today, ew, okay, not that, but an EW, okay? Laura, what's an EW? Yes, that's a little code thing that's going around our church. Just thought I'd throw that in. Proverbs 31, excellent wife, woman, that's how I describe, and, and that's one word if you look at it in the Greek. Okay, uh, parents, how would I describe my parents? You write your thing. I would describe my parents as responsible. My parents were responsible. That's how they showed love. Went to work every day, provided for me. They were responsible people, and I admire them for that. Music style, mine is perfect. I don't know about yours. My music style is perfect. I don't know about my eating style, but my music style. Lifestyle, winning. Thought I'd borrow that from pop culture. Winning. That's how I like to see my my world of my lifestyle, um, how I would define it. Next. My children, yes, they are my retirement. <laughs> that is my retirement plan, my children. It's very biblical. If you need to go look, go back, right back to Hezekiah 36. Faith, it is my heir. It's my heir. Now, I hope you're not writing down my things. You're supposed to write down your things. How would you describe those things for yourself in one word? All right, let's move on. Let's see what we're talking about this morning. Turn to Titus chapter 2 in your scriptures. I've got the scripture up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But let me read this for you as we move through. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about the the false teachers and the the lies and and the character of being a Cretan and and the problems with that and the big challenge for us and the big challenge during this time and and for Titus was are you going to be a Cretan or are you going to be a Christian which one are you going to be and the beauty of this passage today is it truly defines a Christian and so for you and I we get to look at this and say how would we define ourselves. How would others define ourselves? Would we see our lives in context to these words that we just read? That's where I want you to wrestle this morning. 
Would you see your life in context to these words from this passage? Paul has already talked about the character or lack of character of a Cretan. Now he goes into what is the character, the definition, if you will, of a Christian. Let's break this down. You ready? If you're following along, there's a quote here that I've given you. We are defined by our actions, but our actions are defined by three things. What? Our beliefs, values, and convictions. Our beliefs, values, and convictions. Think about your parents. Did they live by their convictions? When the neighbors described your parents to other people, what would they have described them as? When your neighbors describe you to one another, what do they say about it? How do they define you? When your children define you to their friends, how do they define you? Do we live by our beliefs, our values, and our convictions? Because that's the difference between being a Cretan and a Christian. We are defined by our actions, but our actions are defined by our beliefs, values, and convictions. So point number one today, grace at work in you. Grace at work in you. Number one, we want to wrestle with these ideas this morning out of verse 11 and 12 with this first point. Number one is that it trains us. Grace trains us. Did you catch that in in chapter 2, verse 11? For the grace of God, he's talking about the grace of God, has appeared. It has shown up. It is Jesus Christ. And it's brought salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what God's grace does for you and I. It trains us. That means we're a work in progress. Does it not? Training means I'm a work in progress. When Ishikawa got up there and and hit his home run, he gave testimony afterwards to the fact that he couldn't be more happier about, isn't it Sabian is the the general manager? That Sabian picked him up. He had been DFA'd by the Pirates. Gone, done, out of baseball. And now he's the hero of San Francisco. Thank you for believing in me. But Travis didn't just show up. He worked hard. And he got in the batting cage. And he readjusted and he trained and he trained. And he's a work in progress. That's how we are spiritually, my friends. Because of the grace of God at work in us. We are a work in progress. It teaches us to renounce ungodliness. Well, those are big words. What's that mean, Pastor? Renounce means I'm done. It means I'm done and it's, it's a public thing. What are you and I saying publicly that renounces sin. Because the grace of God teaches us, it trains us to renounce sin. And you know what? Here in Crete, there was a lot of pressure to give in to worldliness. To give in to the character of what it would mean to be a Cretan in its full extension. For you and I today, we have the biggest challenge to stand up publicly for the grace of God and the grace of God giving us the power to publicly renounce ungodliness. This is a challenge for the church today, isn't it? There are some churches in Texas you may have heard of this past week that practiced this renouncement of ungodliness and publicly said this is not okay. 
what our government is doing. And they suffered some pretty big, big wrath. Folks, God bless those who through the grace of God renounce ungodliness. Amen? Amen. So we have to stand against sin publicly. Is it enough just to say in my heart, <clears throat> well, okay, you know, what's going on? I don't think that's good. But you never say anything. You never step up and say anything. Nobody will change. The message of the Gospel will not be proclaimed so that people can hear the words of Christ. If we don't stand for truth. And that brings us to the next point. Renounce worldly passions. This is to guard against meaningless distractions. He says, do not give in to worldly passions. What does this look like? Well, I mentioned music. That's where that music thing came in. And it is amazing what would happen to me if you took away my music. But I think even more so, I, I think teenagers would drop dead if you took away their music. I know I would have if I was a teenager. Our music is so important to us. And, and you get it, right? I'm just using music as a metaphor. What have we allowed into our life? Because he's saying you've got to renounce worldly passions. What are those things that we've allowed into our life that the Cretans, Cretans revel in? They love it. It's what defines them. And we've actually built some of that into our life. And it's a distraction from the grace of God. And Paul says, this is what defines you as a Christian. This is what gives you joy. So don't mix that. Otherwise, you're going to be shortchanging grace. Don't mix it with worldly passions. Living self-controlled. I hate this one. I actually contemplated not putting it in there, but it's in the Word of God, so I had to put it in. Living self-controlled. We've heard this in our life group this past week. We talked about the fact that we keep hearing this over and over and over in Titus. I would say that this is probably because the culture of the day was we're not going to live self-controlled. We're going to indulge. How many of us know what it means to indulge? Do you want me to go back to that picture of myself? All right? That would be a picture of indulgence. Now, is it wrong to eat ice cream? Okay, I just want to make sure you all don't go like crazy with this thing. That's not what I'm saying. But I can indulge for myself because in this day and age, I have much more than Cretans did. I can indulge in my life to have whatever I want. And yet the crazy thing is, is that's not good for me. He's saying live self-controlled. Because much of the time, if I choose to live like a Cretan, I'm going to end up like a Cretan. If I choose to live like a Christian, I'm going to end up like Christ. And that requires self-control. It's so that we're not subjugated to impulsiveness. Spontaneity is good sometimes. We're not talking about spontaneity and things like that. We're talking about impulsiveness that gets us into trouble. Because we want, we want, we want, we want. Remember, earlier in this chapter, Paul describes... Actually, he, he quotes a Greek philosopher who described the Cretans and says that they are greedy. 
That's impulsiveness. I want, I want, I want, I want. They are defined by their greed. A Christian is defined by Christ. Living upright. To be known for justice and righteousness. To be known for justice and righteousness is what it means to experience the grace of God. Jesus will give you a perspective of righteousness and what it means to look like Him. What it means to look like God. What it means to be righteous. To practice that which is right. That which is just. I encourage you, check yourself. Is that a defining word for you? And are you just because of the world's perspective? Right? I can take on the justice of the world because there's always competing ideas as to what's right or what's wrong. Or are we going to let Scripture define what is just and what is right? So even in that sense of justice, you can say, I, I hold a high sense of justice. But maybe your sense of justice is defined by the Cretans and not Christ. Examine, check and see that the grace of God, which has brought salvation to all men, is leading you to live upright. He also says living godly lives. Now how is that different than being upright? Well, upright is, is being just and, 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 and righteous. Living a godly life is to... The, probably the best way for me to explain it is just simply dive into the Gospels, my friends. See how Christ walked. Look at how Christ walked. Look at how He interacted with people. Because this is where I will, I will hold the church a little bit accountable. We get a little bit legalistic in things in how to exercise grace. And how to be righteous. And how to be just. You know, we're going to have someone here tonight... <clears throat> from options for women. I guarantee you those people are not advocates to go burn down abortion clinics. But they're going to act in a sense of speaking for what is just and what is righteous. Now there are those that have lost the balance and have lost the sense of what the grace of God is and what it means to be Christ. They stop looking at the example of Christ as He walked on this earth when He speaks to a woman who was caught in the middle of adultery and He says... I condemn you not, but what? Go and sin no more. That's tricky stuff, isn't it? It's much easier just to say, well, nope, let's, let's, burn, let's burn her down. And there, on a very despicable level, there are churches or there are Christians who I would lump into Cretans that have done that. And it has been one of the most damaging things to the grace of God. This is the number one point in this first section. Live godly lives. How do you do that? Look at the example of Jesus Christ and follow that pattern. 1 John 2, 6 says, If anybody seeks to abide in Him, he must walk as Christ. What? Walked. Write that one down. Put it in your, in your arsenal of, of Scripture to shape your life. Next, grace at work now. Verses 12 through 13. He talks about the, the glorious appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and, and this present age. And, and what, you know, what does all this mean? Waiting, or I'm sorry, let's go back to godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing 
<clears throat> of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This present age is a little tricky, and, and I don't know how much that really kind of fits for you uh, as opposed to theologians, but let me help you relate to it a little bit. Since Christ came and Christ died on the cross and He rose again, that was the inauguration of His kingdom. His kingdom has started, but it has not come into its full scope yet. His full scope is when sin is defeated. We're done here. We're in the heavenly kingdom and there is sin no more and all things are accomplished. Then His kingdom is at its full expanse. Alright, that happens with His appearance. That's when we know that the culmination of the fullness of the kingdom happens. But it all started when Christ came to earth, died on the cross, and rose again. That started what's called this present age. It's the age of the church. And it took how everything operated before, and it threw it out. And Christ changed everything and said, this is what it means to experience the grace of God through Jesus Christ now. That is this present age. So it's important. The grace of Christ working now is through you. Prior, it was through the priest. Now, you are a holy priesthood. His grace now comes to you individually. The Holy Spirit would come at interspersed moments to minister to people. When you accept Christ now in this present age... You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit with you always residing now. One of the beautiful benefits of grace now. It's a great age. Amen? It's a great age. It's like thinking, okay, we're, we're heading on out to uh, game one and nobody unlocked the equipment box. We got no bats. We got no gloves. How are we going to play the game? Well, it's all locked up. We can't really access it. It's kind of what the Old Testament was. Is that grace came in, in, in its own specific form, but when Christ came and did His work and rose from the grave, grace exploded. And it's available for all. Not that everyone will accept it. Hear me clearly on this. Not that everyone will accept it, but it is available for all. He did not discriminate when He hung on the cross. Do we got that? He did not discriminate when He hung on the cross. He hung there and He rose from the grave for everyone. That everyone can experience grace if they choose to follow Christ. That's what's so special about this present age. So what are we supposed to do? We're waiting. What are we waiting for? Well, write it down. We're waiting for His blessed return. Because once that happens, guess what? We get to go to Disneyland. How many of you love to go to Disneyland? Right? Like a perfect Disneyland. Like there's no lines in this Disneyland. Like you just get to jump right on. And you don't have to pay for the food. And, and uh, yeah, it is the happiest place on earth. Heaven, not Disneyland. You're there. I can't wait. But here's one of the defining marks of whether we're more defined by being a Cretan or a Christian. There can be an internal rub when I mention this or when Paul mentions this that we're thinking, I don't know. If Christ were to come back this afternoon, we'd miss the World Series. If Christ came back this afternoon, I've got a trip to Canada planned this summer. And Canada's awesome. 
I would miss that. These poor two guys. I really want to get married. I want to have that woman in my life. And if Christ comes, what will happen? Amen. Sometimes we hold on to the things of this world and we substitute out the grace that God's afforded to us. We get sidetracked. We need to wait for the right things. What is the right thing? The blessed hope. Paul says it's the blessed hope. It is that which every believer is waiting for the most. It is what should drive us. What am I waiting for the most right now? Um, I'm excited about Thanksgiving. How many of you love Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. It's fantastic. I'm looking forward to finding out the score of the Chargers game later today. I'm just being honest with you. It's in the back of my mind. I'm very excited about the missions banquet tonight. That's in the back of my mind. Um, And on and on it goes, right? You guys have those lists, those things that you're waiting for, those things that you're looking forward to. Some of you are are looking forward to children. Some of you are looking forward to your children being gone. Some of you are looking forward to retirement. Vacations, whatever it is. The better job, whatever it is. Does it beat the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ? That's a hard one, right? Because we've not experienced that yet. That's why we need to be waiting for that and not other things. Paul says that's the beauty of grace at work now. That part of our role is to be waiting now, focusing on the hope, the blessed hope. This is our prescription for our suffering. Is hoping for something. You guys remember going to sleep the night before Christmas, right? Now when you're an adult, you kind of dread it because you're like, okay, 5.30 a.m., boom, boom, boom. You know, go back to sleep. But when you're a kid, you can barely go to sleep because of how great it's going to be. That's where we should be in this present age right now looking forward to the return of Christ. Amen? This is what Paul talks about. Now, he finishes up with Christ, which is great. This really should help define our attitude this morning. It's verse 14 let me, let me read it for you very carefully. Who gave? Uh, actually, let's backtrack it into the latter part of 13. Uh, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, let me help you with this. How many people are listed here? Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many people is Paul listing? How many say one? How many say two? Some like... Most scholars believe it's one. Do you know what this does for you on an apologetics level? Paul is saying, he who experienced personal relationship, personal audible voice with Jesus Christ, he is saying, Jesus Christ is what? Is God. Write that one down, folks. Write that one down because there's a lot of people who want to say that's not the case. I think Paul's probably a little bit more knowledgeable than any of us on the subject. 
But what's he say about Jesus Christ? He says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Get ready, because this is, this is good. This is fun. You ready to be defined? Here we go. Actually, number one, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Have you ever had someone give their life for you? Save your life. Have you ever known someone who's had their life saved by someone else? And the sense of indebtedness that they have towards that person. It is an awesome thing to have your life saved from destruction. Now on a spiritual level, we get that with Jesus Christ, right? The the priority is to remember that. The priority is that this grace is working in our lives through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we really need to remember this. We need a refresher course that Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself for me and for you. What's that mean to us? It's the substitutionary atonement. There you go. You get to be a, a, a Bible scholar today. All that means is a price that had to be paid for something. The atoning, it covered our sins. Where normally we would feel like we should pay our price for our own sins, we couldn't. So somebody had to step up. Somebody had to stand in the gap. Have you ever owed money to somebody and you didn't have it? And somebody stepped up and did it for you. Incredible. I owe 10000 in taxes, so if anybody would like to do that for me, I would really love... No, I don't. I don't owe any... I don't know $10,000. But think about it. If you did, and somebody stepped up and paid that bill for you, you would never forget that person, would you? This is our soul. This is our soul that was saved. Don't forget. Because it defines you. Jesus saw that you were worthy to be saved because of His love and His grace for you. There's something about that, isn't there? I want to be defined that way. You think about some stories that that you've read or movies that you've seen where somebody was saved because another person sacrificed their life and how powerful a moment that was and how special that person was seen by the community. That this person that we revered and loved gave their life to save this. This must have been awful special. Do you see now how you're defined by these words? Second, Jesus brought us back from the grip of sin. This is the idea of redemption. Now, I'll just give a vulnerable moment here. I still sin. So does that mean I wasn't redeemed? No, I was redeemed. I was brought back by the power of sin over my life and my utter useless ability to stand up in the face of sin. It is because of Christ's work that I can be free from sin. But in my moments of weakness where I get my eyes off the author and perfecter of my faith, sometimes I choose sin to my own foolishness. Sometimes I choose to be defined as a Cretan and not a Christian because I stopped focusing on the blessed hope. I stopped walking in His grace. Remember that you're redeemed. We're going to look at a verse here that helps us really wrestle with that. Jesus is also working right now in all of our lives to what? So that we can be pure. So that we can be pure. So that we can be better. So that we can be refined. 
I remember working with a ministry. It was an outreach ministry on the streets of Hollywood. And we, we were there on a weekly basis. Actually, I got hired there, so I was there on a daily basis for a long time. But we always did a ministry on Thanksgiving Day. And there was an alley next to the building that was disgusting. All right? Just disgusting. Because he who is homeless doesn't necessarily have a facility to do their business. So the business gets done in the alley. There was a 40-gallon drum that was filled with different fluids. I'll just put it that way. Guess what my job was to prepare for this Thanksgiving luncheon down in Hollywood? I had to move this drum. And as I moved the drum, the liquid sloshed all over my pants, all over my shoes. And I was stained, literally stained. I'll never forget that. Because the single most powerful thought in my mind for the next three hours, rather than caring and loving for those who had no place, was I cannot wait to get home and get this filth off of me. I was driven by it. It consumed me. Folks, we cannot get that filth off of ourselves that sin does. But through Christ, work. We can be clean. We can be clean. Amen? Because why? Because He's constantly seeking to sanctify us and make us pure. This is what He's doing now. This is what defines His grace, my friends. This is what defines His grace. It's the work of Jesus Christ and His work defines us. Jesus owns us. Did you know that? That's a popular statement out on the city courts of of, uh, most urban cities. You know, when somebody gets dunked on, they've just been owned. Right? And, and, And this can have negative connotations. It can have positive connotations. Folks, in this sense, it is a positive connotation. I am owned by Jesus Christ. Why does he get to make that statement? And, and where did I get this? Where, where did I extrapolate this from? Look at it very, very carefully. It says, He who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him himself, a people for his own what? Possession. Christ, God loved you so much that he sacrificed and gave Himself, and now is actively at work purifying you and I from sin and from the evilness that is around us. And that is what defines us is God's grace at work in our life because He what? Because He wants to have a casual relationship with you and I. No! He does this and we experience His grace because He owns us. You know, when you basically die for something, (laughs) it's yours. And yet I live my life kind of pretty free, not remembering often that I belong to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. If I face that, if I look at that, guess what? The descriptors of my life are going to be a little bit different as people see them and as I see them. Two scriptures that help us understand this is 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Paul's giving instructions to a group of believers in the church at Corinth. And he's saying, hey, you used to be known this way as as drunkards, as greedy people, as hypocrites, as liars, as thieves, as sexually immoral people. 
Guess what? That's how you used to be. But since Christ came in and since grace has come into your life, you now are free from all of that. You are redefined through Christ. And at the bottom of this passage, he says this, do you not know or, or do you not know that you've been transformed? Do you not know that the grace of God is defining you, is making you into something new? And he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not what? Your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. It matters. Because He who sacrificed everything and is giving His active grace in me even now. It is about Christ. It is about Christ. It is about Christ. Amen? And His work in my life to transform me and make me new from Cretan to Christian. How am I defined? Ephesians 4, 11-14 is a powerful passage. And it speaks to this. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. I'm defined by an inheritance. You already saw that. That was part of my plan, right? By my kids. I already have an inheritance through Christ. I don't need one for my kids. Having predestined according to the purpose. He had a purpose in all of this in the first place. Of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. His grace at work in us is according to His will. He does it. And so what was His will? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I am defined as an adopted son of Christ. That's how I'm defined. So as I finish this up, let's change the definition. In one word, how would I like to define my what? My spouse. I'd like to define my spouse as godly. Right? I'm sorry, how would I like to be defined by my spouse? I would like my spouse to look at me and say that I'm godly. Secondly, I would like my parents to see me. If they could only have one word to define me, I would like them to describe me as righteous. How about my music style? You guys know that that's just a way of me saying those worldly passions, right? I'm just picking something that kind of relates to the culture around me. I would say that I'm guarding. I'm guarding against the worldly passions. I want to be defined that way. How about my lifestyle? the day by day that I'm living in the blessedness of hope for the return of my King so that I'm taken into His arms free from all the, the difficulties, trials of this world. How would I like to be known by my children if they got one word? I want to be known as an example. An example of God's grace. And how about my faith? When it comes to my faith and others looking at my faith, if I were to live a life that's focused on the grace of God which has appeared to all men, bringing salvation, then I would hope that the descriptor 
that was used is that guy acts like he's redeemed. That guy acts like he's redeemed. Remember, we're defined by our actions, but our actions are defined by our beliefs, our values, or our convictions. C.S. Lewis said this, and in closing, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at, aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Let me close in prayer, and then you'll be dismissed today. Lord God, we lay up to You our lives, asking that as You are doing a work in us, whether it is speaking to our hearts this morning, helping us realize that we need You in our life. And maybe for some in the room, that's a first-time opportunity, commitment, and maybe You're drawing them to You. Father, let them respond in kind. Let them reach out to You. Let them commit their lives to You and experience Your grace. Lord, for some of us in this room, we need to readjust. We need to refocus. We need to look at how we would be defined by others around us and say maybe there needs to be some more work through grace, through the grace of Christ done in our lives so that the descriptors of who we are would be uh, more in line with Christ. Thank You for these wise words today, Lord. Guide us in all things. In Your name. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the will of God the Father. Amen.